Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. I won't say this is the last time I'll ask you to turn to Acts, but at least in, in this series, uh, that will be the case. This is, uh, it's bittersweet for me to tell you that today we uh, finish our series from this book. To me, it's, it's like uh, when, when you finish a book, especially a lengthy one, it's like kind of like saying goodbye to an old friend. Uh, but this summer, we are going to uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13 for uh, the rest of the summer, uh, virtually, as we look at our verse of the year from John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And we're going to see just how that love is expressed according to 1 Corinthians 13. And then this fall, we will uh, begin a series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, I am uh, very excited about that as I've been studying for it and looking forward to uh, that magnificent uh, book that is full of both uh, doctrine but uh, very practical issues as it applies that doctrine that we will see. In uh, Acts 28, we're going to pick up uh, kind of in the middle of a a section and uh, begin with verse 14. It says, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. That's where I want to to pick up. And so we came to Rome. So this long journey that we have been talking about, he has arrived. Verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and uh, three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.
Lord, we, um, as we come before you, we thank you for this amazing book that has recorded just what took place with the beginnings of uh, the early church in the New Testament. Lord, we have seen not great men, but we have seen a great God at work. And we thank you for that. And we pray that that would be our encouragement even as we uh, close out our, our study for now of this book, that that, that would uh, stay with us, your great empowerment. And now, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you that are uh, visiting with us, um, we began this series, we, we called it the Empowered Church. We began it April 15th, 2012. Uh, let me tell you in 15 seconds what we've covered for the, <laughs> no, it, it's online, let me just put it that way. Uh, we've, covered, we've covered an awful lot of ground. Uh, you can see though that this is the 55th message and so we obviously had some breaks in there uh, for two Advent seasons, two Easter's, missions conferences, and those kinds of things. When we began this uh, series, we were not even in the new building, just to put it in perspective uh, for our members here. And God has done some great things among us during this time, and not the least of which is that 135 of you were not even members yet when we began this series. And so today, uh, I won't do it in 15 seconds, but I do kind of want to summarize where we've been, and I, and I, I want you to think to yourself if if you were writing an account, how would you want to end it? I didn't read you the very end of the book. How would you, how would you end a great historic account of the early church? We're going to see in, in some ways it's a rather unique way to end, but I have no doubt it's deliberate. This was God's plan. And so let's take a look, and we want to go back to where we began in, in looking at the marching orders of the church. And this is one part that we will go back to again and again in the future as in our Vision 2017, we refer to this uh, for our view of global missions. And this is what the church was told you will receive, this is Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's the outline. Uh, I don't want you to forget that Jesus gave these marching orders to a group of people 
that were disheveled. They were depressed. They were unsure of what their future would be. They had certain hopes and expectations in terms of what Jesus was going to do. And then, and then he, he was crucified. But then they saw him again. He rose from the dead. But now what? Where do we go from here? What, what are we supposed to do? We have been cowardly. We've been without direction. We let him down. Could he ever possibly use us? And that's exactly who he chose to use. Take courage in that. I do. And that's why we have called this the empowered church. Because it's It's not just uh, about a, a great organization. It is about the work of God's Spirit with those who did not have good qualifications in terms of taking a church, a church that would uh, still be going on today, If you told them that's what we want you to put together, they would have said, we have no idea. We, We don't know where to start. We can't possibly, not us, pick someone who's got qualifications. And God said, it is you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to witness first in Jerusalem where you are. And then witness in Judea and Samaria. Really? Samaria? We have to go there? And then witness to the whole world. And then he showed us in this book that he would use a man who at this point didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He would use him the most unlikely of all the characters because not only was he not a Christian, he hated the church. He was going to do everything he could to stamp it out. And that was the Apostle Paul. So that's the outline of the book. Chapters 1 through 7, they witness in Jerusalem. 8 through 12, They witness in Judea and Samaria, 13 through 20. They begin the witness to the world, and then 21 through 28, Paul's journey to Rome. That's the the most simple outline, and what you see is God moving them forward. But here's, here's what he does not do. He doesn't just line them up and say, okay, forward march, and then watch what they do. But instead, he empowers them. And that's what we see in Acts 2. We're not going to go through every chapter like this, but that is what we see in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. That's the Sunday where 
we acknowledge, we remember the coming of God's Holy Spirit in power. We have seen that this book is called The Acts of the Apostles. But let me remind you what what we've said a number of times as we've gone through this, that maybe a better term would be something like this, though it's cumbersome. It's the act of God's Spirit empowering imperfect and weak men and women to works that were used to fulfill God's mighty plan. (laughs) That's, That's what this book is. That's a description of this book. So again, I come away not thinking how great the early church was, how great those people were. But what a great God that can use people like that and like us. So as we look back at the beginning of the church, summarize Acts, the pessimist might emphasize the setbacks. We've called them the bends in the road as we've gone through. And there were what could have been setbacks for the early church. What we see, though, is that in Acts 28.16, we're going to come back and look at some of the setbacks, but in 28.16, it says this, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So he arrives in Rome, and he's put under house arrest. That in and of itself could have been considered a big setback. But what happened between the time he arrives in Rome and Pentecost Sunday when God's Spirit is uh, poured out? The bends in the road are, you know, this morning Paul prayed for those going up to Ridgehaven tomorrow. How many of you have ever driven up to Ridgehaven, our church camp? Okay, if you've ever done that, that's what the bends in the road are like. You go, you go up this mountain, and I, I have a hard time with car sickness. I've had to literally pull over a number of times going up or, or down. You know, you will be driving one direction, and you look over, and you see the back of your car coming around the, <laughs> the bend. That's, you know, it's that kind of a, a road. Well, that's what it looks like in Acts, where... You know, it seems like, well, this is the direction they need to go. This is what, uh, what they need to be doing. And, and something makes them have to turn and turn almost as if they're going back completely the other direction. And what you see is, I'm going to categorize them in three, three categories. Persecution, heresy, and natural barriers. (laughs) Those were all things that the early church faced. For instance, uh, and we won't go back and look at all these. We've spent a lot of time here. But in terms of persecution, you have uh, obviously the physical beatings, the imprisonment time and time again for uh, various uh, ones in there. Peter, especially Paul. Paul wound up in, in jail and in prison. 
And then you see martyrdom. You see Stephen. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul was martyred. Now, that's not recorded in the Bible. It's not recorded here. But he was executed at a later time. So persecution is is one thing the church faced. And then heresy. Uh, You know, in the the very first chapter uh, in Acts 1-6, they say to Jesus, are you now going to restore your kingdom? You know, there's... There's misunderstanding from the very beginning, even at that point. And then later on, as as the church develops, there's disagreement over doctrine. We see Acts uh, chapter 15, where the elders of the church gather. By the way, this is a pattern for uh, Presbyterianism. This week we're having general assembly. We think Acts 15 was the first general assembly. That's how we understand it. Well, what they did was they, they gathered together and they discussed uh, the core of the gospel. It was about circumcision. It was about works and where this fits in with the gospel. But they got together and, and uh, discussed it because there was heresy going on in the church. And, and there was schism. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement to the point where they parted ways. Heartbreaking, but shows the reality of, you know, the the Scripture's so honest that it even tells those kinds of scenes. And then disagreement, we we read later uh, in Corinthians or uh, Philippians, Paul addresses the way to handle other preachers who are not preaching the truth, or who are being divisive. So obviously that was, that was going on. Then another bend in the road are the natural barriers. Just the, the distance they, they had to travel. Uh, the, the human limitations. Uh, the, the shipwrecks. The weather. The storms. You know, recently when um, some of us were in Israel, we're you know, that's a barren place over there. And we, would, uh, we were pretty tough, you know. We would get off, we would get off the bus with our, our hats and sunglasses and, and all that. The air-conditioned bus, which they left running, you know, air-conditioned while we were gone. And we would, we would get off and we'd be out there for a few minutes and then We'd get back on the bus just exhausted, you know, and we would get our bottles of water that they had for us there and so on. And to me, at least, when, you, when you're just traveling, even though it's a small area, you're traveling and thinking, you know, those folks were walking. They were walking here and there, and, uh, you know, it, it was different. It was way different in terms of the barriers. Now, here's the thing about those, those three kinds of barriers, and there, there are others. In church history, those patterns continue. But here's what I want to leave with you. Not that they had these, you know, bends in the road, don't remember Ridge Haven or anything like that. Here's, I want you to, to understand that God took what should have been barriers, and he used them. 
For instance, persecution comes. What happens when persecution comes? Well, they were enjoying one another in Jerusalem until persecution comes, and it made them scatter. You know what that did? It multiplied the church. It helped them do what they were supposed to do when they were told forward march. You know, they did forward march and they all sat down in Jerusalem. And they might have still been there if it hadn't been for the persecution. In China, in spite of the fact that missionaries were expelled in the early 1950s, and Christians endured severe persecution in the 60s, the number of Christians in, uh, continued to, to grow. It grew slowly to about 5 to 7 million by 1980. Many Christians simply went underground. You know, some thought that uh, when persecution came there, that that would be the end of the church. What happened was they went underground and they continued to grow. And, you know, missionaries get expelled. What are they going to do without us there? Well, they grew. <laughs> That's what they did. Uh, God used that. And so it grew to some five to seven million, most estimate, by 1980. Now there are those that are estimating that although the church is still officially underground, most of it at least, there may be as many as 70 million. Some say a lot more. And the Huffington Post reported, it's not necessarily a friend to Christianity, but they reported that some experts are predicting that China is on its way to becoming the largest Christian nation in the world. Now, that's not because the Chinese are so great. They're great. It's because God is so great. And He is using what, what from a human perspective looks like a bend in the road, a bad bend. Missionaries expelled, persecution coming, and the church just keeps growing. That's the God that we worship. What about the, the heresy? The wrong teaching within the church. Well, what happened was, and, and this happened throughout church history, is there would be wrong teaching. Uh, some preacher would rise up and he'd be preaching something wrong, and then he would be challenged and they would have a council get together and discuss it, just like the Jerusalem council, and they would define doctrine better and more accurately. And so the church advanced instead of the heresy destroying the church. You see, Satan throws these things against the church and God uses. He uses the persecution. He uses the heresy. And then the natural barriers. Again and again, missionaries have gone to places where no one else is going to go. They just won't. And, and they're often the first ones in when there's a disaster. And they're not just the first ones in. They're often the last ones to leave as well. 
because they're not just there for a photo op. They're there because they're called to be there. All of that because of their marching orders in Acts 1, verse 8. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And then the last part of the book I see as a particular illustration of what I want us to be left with, and that is this. Nothing can stop the church. (laughs) Nothing can stop the church. The forward march, Acts 28, verse 23, says, when they had appointed a day for him, They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here's here's what happens. He's, uh, you know, instead of imprisonment being, well, that's that. It's the end of old Paul. They just kept coming to him. And he kept sharing Christ. Starting in the Old Testament, going all the way way through. And it says in verse 30, He lived there two whole years at His own expense and welcomed all who came to Him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts begins with Jesus giving the marching orders. The rest of the book, we see Satan throwing everything that he can at the church. Every stumbling block, every bend in the road, everything he can throw at the church, Satan does that, and we see the church advancing. God overcoming those and advancing the church. Because... Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. That's our, that's our hope right there. Paul experienced that in Romans 8. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So after two years of house arrest, apparently he was released. And he resumed his travels for about two more years. It's the Apostle Paul. And then he was rearrested, retried, condemned, and executed around 64 AD. 
But while he was waiting for his execution, he showed one more time that Satan wasn't going to stop the church, that Satan hadn't stopped him, and he couldn't stop any who persevere. This is what he wrote. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So here's the thing. Now it's our turn. We read about God using all kinds of people. It's our turn. During the time I was in Atlanta, I ran 13 or 14 Peachtree Road races. It's a 10K on the 4th of July. Yes, before you have to say it to me, that was a while back. I'm just saying, okay, I understand that. But those were, uh, those were interesting experiences. Because what, what takes place there is, uh, uh, you know, there may be 50,000, 60,000 that run in that. And I saved this quote from the Journal-Constitution that talks about the Peachtree Road Race. It's on the 4th of July every, every year. It says, in some ways, by 7.30 Friday morning, as the Peachtree Road Race gets underway, Peachtree Street will be a picture of diversity reminiscent of the Bible's Pentecost. <laughs> really? Okay, cool. Thousands will come together from different backgrounds different states, even different nations. They'll come from Kenya and Mexico, Alaska and Maine. Some will have world-class speed and others will walk cautiously. There'll be 10-year-olds running a first race and 80-year-olds enjoying another milestone. Those who finish the race are winners. Now here's what it looks like at the Peachtree Road Race. There were the sprinters... When, when I, back in when I was running, it was mostly the Kenyans. Those were the, the sprinters. Then, uh, and they start you in sections. Then there were the serious runners. And then there were runners. And then most of the people there were joggers. That was like me. And that was my category. Which, by the way, we were the ones having fun. You know, the ones up, the ones up front don't even speak to one another, you know. And uh, people would say to me sometimes, you know, somebody that didn't understand the race, they'd say, well, uh, where, what place did you finish? And I had a couple of answers. One of them was, well, I finished behind the Kenyans, <laughs> which was true because they were actually done before I started the race. <laughs> or sometimes I'd say, Oh, I was about uh, 49,860, you know, something, something like that. 
So, you know, you've got this huge throng of all kinds of people, and, and yet I, I like what they said here in the, the newspaper, if you finish, you win. Because here's what would happen. At the end, it, it, it always ended in Piedmont Park there in downtown Atlanta, and everybody was milling around, and there were some people that were real worried about their times, and, 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 but most people were just enjoying the beginning of the, the 4th of July and getting their t-shirt and, and all that. And there was a spirit of celebration. Well, I think, I think calling that race, you know, something like Pentecost, is, that might be a good illustration because in a way, the church is, is like that. Uh, we are in a race. It's a long one. You have your, your sprinters up front, like I would say the sprinters were like Noah and Abraham and Joshua and all those who are listed in, in the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Peter, James, John, and of course Paul. And then you have your, your runners. I would say those, those are people like Augustine and Luther and, and Calvin and, and Spurgeon and, and Graham. People like that were the real runners. And then you have your, your joggers and even walkers. That's the rest of us. But all who persevere are eventually going to cross that same finish line that Paul was talking about. Remember that? Some are going to finish faster and some much slower. Some will fly across and and some are going to stumble across. But there is that line. There's a an interesting passage with Jesus. When he's talking, he had talked with a woman at the well. It's in John 4. And the disciples had gone, they brought him some food. And he said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four more months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, and here's what I want you to catch, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what it's saying. There's going to come a day, not at Piedmont Park, but after the finish line, where there will be that great celebration. That great celebration where 
if you have been one who has had the privilege of leading people to Christ in your life, you will meet all the ones that had sowed the seed before that. Someone like, like Billy Graham will meet all of the, the thousands and we'll all be sitting down there together celebrating, not lifting him up on our shoulders, but celebrating together the sowers and the reapers. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's why at the end of this, I wrote down Acts 29. There is a church planting movement called Acts 29. The point being that the work is going on. And that's, that's where we are. Acts only has 28 chapters. We're in that next chapter. And so Acts is not the end. It's the beginning. The church is still called to reach Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the world. Our Jerusalem and our Judea and Samaria and this globe where God has put us. But here's the great news. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are on the winning team. A team that will not, that cannot be stopped. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for showing that to us. Give us encouragement by the kind of people you love to use. And will you use us in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria, in our world? Will you use us? We are weak and confused and too often cowardly, but we want to be used by you and for your glory. And so we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.